taking notes this morning, mentally or on paper, the message that came to me for us is to reteach or to re-inspire the concept of impartation. Now, all of us have experienced impartation in one way or another because we've all received something from the Holy Ghost. Now, what I do in the teenage classes, I usually have a Google and I usually have a Bible apps. Who wants to be my Google? Who's got their phone? Go ahead, Sister Sister Tabitha. No. The Webster's version of of impartation. Yep. And what we got out of Meg's phone was pretty bland. Let's see if yours is any better. Well, what we got was that basically impartation is a transfusion of information from one place to another. That's according to Webster. It's the carrying on of information. According to the Bible app, impartation comes through the laying on of hands and through basically a spiritual download that allows one person to take all of the experience that they have through the Spirit and deposit it into another person simultaneously through the laying on of hands. Is this a New Testament thought? Is this an Old Testament thought? What is the purpose of impartation and how does it apply to the way that the Spirit of God works? Now we know that there are seven aspects of God or the seven spirits of God that are around the throne and how is it that God decides to transmit these seven aspects of Himself into our life. We know that the Holy Ghost or the Comforter was sent to men on the day of Pentecost after all things that were required on the earth were fulfilled so that men could actually inhabit the same place as the Spirit of God. But how is it that impartation comes into play throughout the lives of man? Now, the first person that we find in biblical history to really travel through this road of impartation is the father of faith, Abraham. And as he journeyed out and began to pray and really began to communicate with God, you have to understand that Abraham is, if you would, the first foot marker after Noah in the bloodline of the righteous line. Noah was the one that achieved building the ark and saved creation as we know it from totally being destroyed. He was, if you were, the liaison between God and the rest of the world. And if it had not been for Noah and his bloodline, the whole entire earth would have been destroyed and we would have been starting over from day one. But Noah was the one in, in if you would, the, the family hierarchy that stood out before Abraham. But I think there are nine generations between Noah and Abraham. So there were a lot of men that passed from one time to the next before somebody else made a mark on the earth. So what was it that was about Abraham in his nature and in his heart that made God look at him differently than anyone else on the earth? Abraham is actually duly noted as being God's friend. And nowhere else in the scripture do we find anyone else that is noted as God's friend. We know that David is named as the apple of God's eye. We know that there are other parts in the Old Testament where God admires men or marvels at men, but no other man in the Old Testament is named as God's friend. 
even Aaron who enters into the holiest of holies, who is pulled out of his wicked ways, being the one that sculpted the golden calf to present before the children of Israel while Moses was out on Mount Sinai, who was then repented, who was then called into a place where his rod budded, who was then the only person who once a year entered into the holiest of holies and felt the presence of God, not even Aaron was named as God's friend. Even Moses, who had to hide in the shadow of God's hand to be kept from being struck dead because he was so close to the presence of God, not even Moses was named as God's friend. More so, the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham at least three times on recorded history, not to mention the numerous conversations that he had with him while he's wandering around looking for a place he's never seen, seeking a place he's never been to, and he even debates with God as to how a certain city would be destroyed or not. His nephew Lot had journeyed into the city of Sodom, and then he had said, uh, if there are 50 good men in there, don't destroy the city. He gets all the way down to five. There aren't even five good people in the whole city, and God ends up annihilating the place anyway. But nobody else in the Old Testament argues with God or debates with God as to the fate of men like Abraham did. So what kind of power or what kind of humility did Abraham walk in to receive some kind of blessing of communication with God? The only other time we see intimate communication with God on that level in the Old Testament is before the fall of man when Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden, in the evening, at the end of the day. Those are the only other people who entertain the Spirit of the Lord in such a common and relaxed way that there's a conversation going on. So as a result, when you are that good a friend with God, you get that kind of a blessing in that Abraham is called out not to find a few acres of ground, but establish an entire country for every generation after him. His promised land, the promised land that was talked about in Egypt and the promised land that has been removed and given back and removed and given back over generations. This promise was given to Abraham because he was the friend of God. He wasn't establishing a farm. He was establishing a country and he had no idea what he was about to do. He was just one man who could not produce children and did not have a wife who could produce children. Yet he's going to be the father of an entire nation and establish a country. So what kind of impartation was this given to Abraham that he's downloaded with this kind of power? We don't readily know for sure or that we could call it the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament, but I would say that the Spirit of God lived in Abraham. And the only way we could describe it is to be that Abraham was filled with the Holy Ghost. How else could he entertain the presence of God? lest the presence of God be with him. So what kind of grace, what kind of exception was given to Abraham in order for him to be in the midst of God without being destroyed? Now the only way that we can see this happening is, is that Abraham was before the dispensation of law. He was in the dispensation of human government after the Tower of Babel. So there was no law set in place by God for him to be held accountable for. It was all about relationship. Which tells me that the relationship of the law of God between Abraham and Jehovah was is it was a relationship and a law of love. 
Not one that was written on stone tablets, not one that was taken down on papyrus, but the relationship and the law that Abraham entertained with Jehovah in order to get this kind of impartation where he was about to establish an entire country was he wasn't living under the law of Moses because Moses is after him. He was living under the law of love. So the first step to impartation to receiving the best blessing that you can get is to live under the law of love. Not under the law of Moses or the law of man. But to get into an intimate interpersonal relationship with God, you have to enter into that relationship in love with God because if you go before Him with the law, He'll have to judge you. Because He plays by His own rules. He made them. The second thing, that, and that's, that blessing that's given to him is in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, if you want to catch the highlights in your own time. The second blessing that he gives Abraham is in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 14, where he looks at him, and he's 90 years old, and he says, I'm going to establish an entire nation through you, and your generations are going to be like the stars in heaven, or like the salt of the earth. And he's looking at him and he's saying, I'm 90 years old. Are you sure? <laughs> We're good friends and all. Are you joking with me? And the reason why we can say it like that is because when Sarah overheard the conversation, she laughed. So God was so comfortable and so familiar with Abraham and Sarah under this dispensation that Sarah was overhearing what God and Abraham were talking about and she laughed about it. That means that there's a pretty good relationship with God going on if, you, if He's telling you something serious and, and your wife overhears it and she's laughing about what God is saying. That's how close they were. It was a relationship of love, and Sarah laughs. That's what Isaac actually means, to laugh. So that's, uh, that's an in-depth relationship. That's a comfortable relationship. But something happens to man, and we get unruly, and we decide that we know how to do things better than the Creator. And as we move forward through the genealogical timeline, God has to establish a law with us because Egypt happened and with that about 150 other gods, not to mention everything else that happened around the rest of the world. And as man grew, their imagination grew, and as their imagination grew, their idols grew, and as their idols grew, God grew jealous. God's a jealous God. Yet there is, there's one that is called out amongst them who is called Moses. His name is from the water because he was drawn out from the water. And we know that he takes down the kingdom of Egypt through the rod. We know that there are ten plagues. We know there's a parting of the Red Sea. We know that he goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments. We know that he's doing all these great things. His brother and he are, are putting together furniture for the temple. And then after doing all those things, the one thing Moses could not handle was people. He could handle Egypt. He could handle plagues. He could handle being on Mount Sinai in the presence of God. He could handle having to hide in the shadow of God's hand so he's instructed. He could handle dealing with his brother Aaron after he'd made a golden calf. He could handle parting the Red Sea. But what he couldn't handle was grouchy people. It actually drove him insane. It came to the point where his self-value was totally destroyed. He thought, what am I worth? I've done all these things in Egypt by holding on to this rod, 
I've walked through the Red Sea on dry land, but I can't handle a group of crying people. They're driving me nuts. Well, what's the parody there? Take on an entire country with the force and power of God, but can't handle a few million people. Just think about that for a second. To, to marvel of watching the only freshwater source in the country be completely turned to blood. To understand that as he spoke words out, whatever he said was going to come to pass, but he can't handle human government. He was beat down. He was emotionally distraught. Because he wasn't acting with the people on his level of anointing. He was dealing with them on a human level. If Moses would have been shining bright constantly, yes, they covered him with a veil, but at some point he had to interact with somebody. Even though they covered his face with a veil and he was in the Shekinah glory of God, he still had to give out orders. He still had to govern. He still had to lead. And he couldn't handle the madness. So what does this have to do with impartation? A miracle of the Lord happens, and the portion that was laid on Moses, after he had been broken down, after his mind had been overwhelmed, after his body had been stressed out, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 14... I'm going to read this one. This one's good. Say amen when you got it. Numbers chapter 11. I got big Bible with big words. Verse 14. He says, I am not able to bear all these people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou... And if thou deals thus with me, kill me. I pray thee out of hand if I have found favor in thy sight. That's, let me translate that for you. I can't handle these people. God, kill me. Yeah. <laughs> that is what that says. And let me not see my wretchedness. I am ashamed because I feel like I'm failing you, Lord, that I cannot handle all these people, but kill me anyway. I'm good with it. <laughs> That's what Moses is saying at that point. See, he was trying to take on the entire nation and lead it like one man. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto thee seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation. What is the process that God is starting to, to omit at this point is that he is breaking Moses down to a point of humility. God has omnipotent power. He doesn't need anybody else to govern for him, yet he has cherubs, seraphims, archangels, ministering spirits, Angels that work throughout the entire spiritual realm and help govern the physical realm. He has four angels at the four directions of the earth who guard the four winds. God doesn't need them, but he uses them anyway. And Moses is about to learn a lesson of government. 
And I will come down and talk there with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou may bear it not thyself alone. So let's look at the process of what impartation does at a leadership level. We see what it does at a national level, where you have to be this in-depth friend with God in order to establish your own country. But that can be done within your own family. How many of us can see a hundred generations into the future to know what our great, 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 so on and so forth grandchildren are going to become? We have no idea, but we know that if we're led of God and we're the friend of God, He's going to take us to a place that we're supposed to be in a land that we're supposed to occupy. Amen? We also know that if we're trying to lead people, if we're trying to lead a family, that it takes divisions of government. But what's the miracle of that division of government? He took them into where? He didn't take them into a high mountain. He didn't establish a courthouse in the backside of the desert. And he didn't take them into a spot that was in public view. He took them into the tabernacle, into the intimate place where the Most High dwelled. And he said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to meet with you guys there. Which means in order to have division of powers, you have to have a meeting with the one who gives you the power. Amen. So the impartation that fell upon the people of Israel at that point was not a division of powers to establish government. It was a division of powers to understand the one who created the government. Because he took them into the place where he had his meeting. God made them come to him. He didn't go seek them out. He trusted Moses to establish who the elders were going to be. But after that, the elders had to come into the meeting place of the Most High. Yeah. Amen? Amen? Now, here's the beautiful part. Just as Jesus broke the fish and multiplied it, and just as Jesus blessed the, blessed the bread and multiplied it, He took one man and multiplied him through the Spirit. He didn't say that I was going to give them each their own mantle. He says, I'm going to break your mantle and divide it amongst others. That means that whatever I'm carrying, or whatever Sister Carolyn, or Reverend Dave, or Bishop Mary's carrying, whatever the ministry is carrying, it can be broken and divided and given out by the Holy Ghost. That's the kind of impartation that we walk into, is that if you're in leadership, you can be broken so you can be divided so that you can spread. Amen. How many different ministers came from Steinsville Pentecostal Church? How many different ministers erupted out of Robert Anderson's ministry? How many ministers were ordained through that walk? Uh-oh. Hold still. So multiplying the ministry is not just a thing of looking at somebody and taking off your shirt and giving it to them, even though Elijah kind of does that. But it's a thing, there is a transfusion of powers that says, I have grown to my maximum and I need help. So if Moses is one that can take on the entire nation of Egypt by himself with God, and he has to have help through human government through establishing his mantle being broken and passed on, how much more help do we need? How much more help do we have to have to understand what it is that we plan to do next? 
This is why we've been given a board. This is why we've been given ministers. This is why we've been given divisions of power so that as we grow, not only do we grow, but we multiply. Instead of going one by one, we're going to go ten by ten. How many believe that? You have what you ask for. If you look at what your ministry and your church and, your, and the spirit that's in the house is doing, you can speak into existence what you want to come to pass because it's about relationship. It's about request. Amen? So if we're looking at ourselves as a group and as a whole, do we say we grow one by one or do we grow ten by ten? The power is in the tongue. Amen? Impartation can come through the laying on of hands. That's the one that we're most familiar with. We see it all throughout the book of Acts. But something that astonishes me is something that I had completely forgotten about. In John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, Jesus is standing there with his disciples before he ascends up into heaven and he looks at them and he blows on them. And when he blew on them, I'm sure that was a little distracting, but then he commanded something of them. He said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So he had a physical action and then he had a command. So as he blew on them, he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And whenever he spoke it, it came to pass and they spoke with other tongues in that very instant. Then he told them to go out and be, he says, be, he was going to send them out as he was sent out. Now there were only 11 there at the time. The 12th one, we all know about him. But we believe that Paul was definitely the double portion apostle that Judas could never be. Amen? So, in impartation, we've talked about on a national level. We've talked about in a government level. We've mentioned it with Elijah on a spiritual level. But how do we do it in a New Testament level? Because whatever happens in the Old Testament gets reflected in the New Testament because we're fulfilling what the Old Testament was. We as a body of Christ, we as a church people, I've said all of that to get you set up for this. Are we ready? That was your history part. Now we're going to get into the prophecy part because the New Testament is all prophecy and the Old Testament is all fulfilled. Amen? When you're walking in the New Testament, every breath that you breathe, you're the living New Testament of Jesus Christ because you are walking in the testimony of what He has do, done and doing and will do. How many of us have trouble in our family? And how many of us look forward to the generations of our children? And it may not be all of them, but there's that one that you look at and you go, that one's going to cause me trouble? I know that feeling. Okay, I've got a three-year-old that I'm, that one's going to cause me trouble. Okay. don't know what kind of trouble, but I can see it happening already. The blessing of Abraham was when he went to Isaac, his oldest son, is that he received the whole amount. And when Isaac went to Jacob, Jacob received 
the whole amount. But when Jacob had his 12 sons, he picked one son to receive two portions. That's how it went when the land was divided. That he had one son that received two portions, and the oldest son received the double portion and a physical prophecy from the father. That he would lay his hand on his head and speak over him what the family was going to do and the successes that he was going to have before he ever met them. That's the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Moses is to teach the children of Israel how to divide things up. The blessing of Elijah is to multiply your spirit, but the blessing of God is to have all those things in one. That when we receive the Holy Ghost, we can walk anywhere on the earth and possess the land, even if we didn't have paperwork to possess it. Fifty years ago, when my grandpa looked at land, he said, that's the place I need to build my church, but he was drawn away from it, not realizing that there would be full circle coming back, and the generation that followed him would multiply what he was going to do. So even now, we fulfill prophecy without even knowing that it was there. So if you look at your family and you see the trouble that it's having, what are you going to prophesy over your family? What are you going to speak and impart over the trouble? Are you going to receive everything that's being dealt to you, or are you going to deal with what's being dealt to you? Now, I've heard about some victory. I've heard about some people being relinquished from addictions, being relinquished from family problems, being relinquished from trouble in their life, having victory in the name of Jesus, but it doesn't stop with you. You have to take that same victory that you just received and multiply it. How? You pick a land or a person or a place or a thing and you claim it in the name of Jesus and say, that belongs to my children that I don't even have yet. That belongs to my grandchildren that I haven't even seen yet. That belongs to my great-grandchildren that my grandchildren don't even know about yet. And you speak it into existence. Why? Because the promise that was given to Abraham is the same promise that is given to you because it is the same spirit that talked with Abraham that talks to you. When your family grows and you say, how do I manage this madness? You look at your own elders. If you're the head of the family and you are the elder, that means you have children that you are head over. And how is it that you pass on your blessing unless you lay hands on them? And no, I'm not talking about knocking them out. <laughs> Why? But more so than how is it that if Jesus can walk up to his disciples and be so filled up with the Holy Ghost that he blows on them and they receive the Holy Ghost, what did he do? He exited air out of his mouth and his mouth, whenever it blew, it made one sound. And that same wind that came out of his lungs was the same wind that exited heaven and blew over the upper room on the day of Pentecost and filled the entire house. Because everything that was in the Old Testament came to pass whenever the New Testament hit. That means that the same power that was in the upper room waiting to be blown over you is the same power that walks with you today. So what are you going to impart over the generation to come? What are you going to speak life over in the generation that's coming at you? What are you going to prophesy over what you have not even seen yet? What kind of vision have you been given? Because my God says without a vision, the 
people perish. And if you are the elder of the family and you don't have a vision for the family, that means the family is going to perish. That's the word of God. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus. Take it up with him. You need to catch a vision for the generations to come because if you're the elder and you're the oldest, it's time to start imparting what kind of vision you want for your children, for your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. Now, I know that there's at least one of you that's got the Holy Ghost. Maybe. I don't know. I've spoken tongues with all of you, and I've danced with all of you. I know you've got the Spirit of God. I know you know what the presence of God is, but now it's time to get like Abraham and start managing the nation that you have not seen yet. Amen? It's time to start talking to God about lands you haven't occupied yet. It's time to establish a country, an entire region, because we've already talked about territory. We've already talked about possessing the land. Well, now we've been given land that was promised over 50 years ago, and it's time to establish a new territory. That's why we're imparting on the next generation. The only way for us to impart onto the next generation is to start learning how to prophesy, not prophesy. So that means if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, one of the seven spirits of God is a spirit of prophecy. It's time to enact the spirit of prophecy which is inside you because the spirit of God is inside you. And if you can speak in tongues, you've got the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is the self-same spirit with the self-same workings. It's time to prophesy over the next generation and speak life and power and anointing and promise. Amen. That's the anointing that Abraham walked in. He's going to establish an entire country with a generation as many as the stars. And the word of God says even the generations and the countries that are outside of him will be blessed by him. That means that it don't even have to be your kids. They're going to get blessed because they're around your kids. Hallelujah. We're not talking about just a contained blessing. We're talking about an overflow blessing. Now we get to Elijah. Elijah had no children, but Elisha walked with him. Elijah had no woman that he kept, yet Elisha walked with him. He walked in this single-handedly prophetic motion where everywhere he went, he was either in trouble or he was prophesying. He was taken on the prophets of Baal or he was running from Jezebel. He didn't know his head from his tail. He didn't have to worry about the clothes on his back. He slept in a cave. He was fed by ravens. Everywhere that he went, the Spirit of God entertained him. Every place that he walked, the Spirit of the Lord walked there with him. I need somebody who's ready for some spiritual impartation, who to take on a kid that ain't yours, not your bloodline, don't have nothing to do with you, and grab a hold of them and rip off a piece of your mantle and lay it on their shoulders because ain't nobody else there going to do it for them. I need somebody who's got the spirit of adoption to start saying, I'm going to take you in. Hallelujah. Because there are going to be children that walk into this house, whether they be 5 or 50, that need a mom and a dad in the spirit to pray with them, to travail with them, to take a piece of themselves and put it on them. Because the thing that you walk in that is common is going to be a blessing to them. Woo, hallelujah. I said, the thing that you walk in every day that is common is going to be a blessing to them. Do you have any idea how surprised I am when somebody looks at me and says, what's speaking in tongues? I've been speaking in tongues as long as I've been speaking English. I don't know what it's like not to speak in tongues because it's all I've ever done and it's all I've ever known. Do you have any idea how foreign it is to me to not know what it's like to have the presence of God? The Holy Ghost hit my body when I could walk. I don't know what it's like not to have the Holy Ghost. 
but there are going to be people that walk up to you and say, what is the Holy Ghost? What is this speaking in tongues? And you're going to have to interpret it in a way they can understand. I go up to the Miamis and I say, meaning speak with me the spirit language. Because that's the only way that they understand speaking in tongues. I have to speak as I am around. I have to become all things to all men. So here I'm a minister and I'm an elder. But you get me around somebody else and I'm a medicine man. Because that's what I've got to be in the place that I'm at. And whenever I'm the medicine man, I look at them and say, There may be only one creator. And he's the creator who's always creating. And in my language we call him Kisahia Manitou. But in Hebrew we call him Jehovah. Yahweh, the creator who's always creating. And he sent down his spirit because there is only one creating spirit. And when that spirit hit the land, it began to give people the spirit language. And if you want to know what this spirit language is, it's time to walk into this medicine lodge with me. And walk this spirit trail with me so that you can understand who God is on a better level. Hallelujah. Because you have to become all things to all men. Just as Paul looked at the pagans on Mars Hill and he saw the empty column of the unknown God, he walked up to that vacant space and he filled the void and he said, let me tell you about who the unknown God is. And he became all things to all men in that moment. Even though he was surrounded by paganism and a bunch of idols and devils, he walked in and he owned the place because he knew that he was established for a country and a land and a place that he was called to and he had the blessing of Abraham. He had the impartation of Elijah. He had the spirit of the Holy Ghost from Jesus and when he walked into Mars Hill he owned the land that he walked on. Hallelujah. Somebody pick up some impartation this morning. Glory to God. So what is it that you expect to impart on the next generation. What blessing has been given to you individually through your family? When you wake up in the morning and Jesus talks with you, what does he tell you that he's going to do for you? And if he's going to do it for you, according to the word of God, every generation that comes after you has to be multiplied. God is not one that deals in singles. God is one and deals in tens. He says if one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. God likes to multiply in tens. It's just the way that he is. So if God has given you a generational blessing of one square acre of ground, somebody in your family is going to get 10 square acres of ground. Can you say amen? If God has given you a territory to walk in and to be anointed in, and it's just one tiny space in Ellisville. God is going to multiply that place to Bloomington and Martinsville and Spencer and Gosport because that's who God is. He multiplies in groups of ten. So if you're going to call out impartation, it's time to start enacting on the impartation. The only way for Abraham to walk into his promised land was to give up everything that he knew and walk into something new. He had to step out by faith into a troubled place and take all of his belongings and say, this is where we're going, God. I don't know where it's at. I haven't seen it. I haven't heard of it. I'm going to have to dig wells. I've never drank from its water, nor have I stepped on its earth. But because you said it was there, I know that it's going to be there. Yes. Hallelujah. So look at your children. Look at your grandchildren. 
Look at your great-grandchildren. Even if you don't have any yet, look at your great-great-grandchildren, the ones that are invisible, the ones that haven't happened yet, and start imparting the blessings that are on your life and speaking it over them. Because I tell you, when there's a building and four walls put up on that land out there, right out on 46, when there's four walls built and a roof, as soon as people begin to see it, they're going to start getting curious about it because that land is the blessed land and that blessing's been waiting. It's been 50 years. Do you have any idea how many times a house could have been built on that place? Do you have any idea how many times that place could have been inhabited by a different kind of business? But that ground has laid barren, waiting for the right blessing to inhabit it. It was so blessed that it wouldn't even let anything else be built on it because God established it and foreordained it. The soil knows what it's supposed to be and nothing else could be built on it because it's not what that dirt was called out to become. Hallelujah. We went from a 50 by 100 square lot in Steinsville to 10 acres. Hallelujah. God multiplies in tens. We weren't even one acre when we began, but now we are 10 acres as we're starting again. So I'm looking for a 100 acre blessing. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But you've got to look at your impartation according to Abraham, according to Moses, according to Elijah, according to Jesus, according to the day of Pentecost. Hallelujah. What kind of promises have been laid behind you? What kind of promises are set up before you? What kind of covenants have been built in the generations before you? It was told by one of my grandmothers. Don't know which one that a Pentecostal church was going to be put in Steinsville. Great, great aunt. I have no idea who this person is. Mom probably owns a piece of furniture from her. <laughs> but when my grandfather established a Pentecostal church in Steinsville, it may have been that woman's prayer that needed to be fulfilled so that the ground that we walk on now could be matured because there had to be seeds planted. And though some of you seeds have become great trees of faith, you started out as seeds. And as we grew and we multiplied in that place, we came into a spot where now we're ready to start dropping some more seeds again. So if one Bishop Robert Anderson could baptize a thousand. That means by the time this next ministry goes on, according to the Word of God, there should be 10,000 baptized. That's what my Bible tells me. That's what the Word of God tells me. That's what the promises of Abraham and Elijah and Moses and Jesus tell me, that if Robert Anderson baptized one, that this Yeshua Tabernacle of Praise is going to baptize 10,000. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody pick up what I'm putting down this morning. If Robert Anderson baptized a thousand, Yeshua Tabernacle of Praise is going to baptize ten thousand because that's what God deals in. He deals in multiples of ten, which means he's going to increase ten times. We've already seen it happen. We went from 50 by 100 square feet in Steinsville to ten acres. We've gone above and beyond what we thought we could be. Glory to God. So this morning, I ask you to look at your families. 
your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great that you can't see, your great-great-great that you do not know, and begin to impart on them. I implore you to adopt somebody in the Spirit. I implore you to take somebody that isn't yours, who is an orphan, who is a vagabond, who does not have a mother or a father, and make them your children because they're about to enter your life. Because there are going to be people in the spirit who are wandering around aimlessly, who have nobody to guide them, but they need a mom and a dad in the spirit. There are going to be people who will always be as children, whether they're five or 50, who need mothering, who need fathering, who need nurturing, who need loving. It's time to pick up the mantle of Elijah and start imparting on somebody that ain't yours and make them yours to bless them twofold. See, whenever Elijah said, I want a double-fold blessing, he wasn't talking about a ministerial blessing. He was talking about a family blessing because it was the oldest son that got the two parts of the land and the blessing. That means he looked at Elijah and said, I need you to make me like your son and bless me. I need you to take somebody and treat them like your child and bless them because you're about to have children come into your life that ain't yours. Hallelujah. And it's time to start imparting on the other side. My father, who I know is my father, is not blood related to me, but he's been more of a father to me than any man on this earth. Hallelujah. And whenever I talk about my dad or my daddy, I'm not talking about the one that's got blood through me. I'm talking about the one that loved me, who took care of me, who picked me up when I fell down, who washed my knee off when I scraped it, who put me on top of his shoulders and danced with me. I'm talking about the dad that sat down with me and said, this is how you do it, son. This is a life lesson. I'm talking about the father that put his arm around me and cuddled me whenever I was weak and held me up when I fell down. That's the kind of blessing of a Elijah that we're looking for. And if you treat somebody like that, they're going to get twofold. They're going to get twice of what they would have got before. They're going to have increase on their life in a way you cannot think or imagine. Hallelujah. Amen. So speak to the next generation because God is in the season of multiplying. How many believe that? Yes. Come on, somebody look at that and say, God is in the season of multiplying. And I'm about to get my tenfold blessing. God is in the season of multiplying. I'm about to get my tenfold. Somebody claim that in Jesus' name. God is in the season of multiplying. And I'm about to get my tenfold blessing. Somebody look at the woman and say, atmosphere, change. Hallelujah. I'm about to get my blessing. <laughs> hey, I'm about to get my blessing. Somebody shout, I'm about to get my blessing. Glory. God's multiplying. God's increasing. God's making a way out of no way. Hallelujah. Be blessed this morning in Jesus' name. Speak to the generations after you because whatever you receive, there's going to be one that comes to you and they're going to get a double portion of what you were. Come on, hallelujah. I said there's going to be one that comes after you, and they're going to get a double portion of what you were. Woo, Jesus. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Messiah. My God had to blow on the people and they received it. Blow on them and tell them what God is going to do for them. Messiah. Glory. God is good. His promises are going to be fulfilled. Hallelujah. He's establishing nations. He's establishing generations. He's establishing covenants. That's why whenever the elders went into that tabernacle with Moses, he established a covenant with those men. And he met them in an intimate place where everybody else that tried to go in there was struck dead. But those men were kept alive to speak with God. Hallelujah. God is ready to establish a covenant with your family. God is ready to establish a blessing with the generations after you. God is ready to take you into a spirit of adoption where if you didn't have anything, you're about to get something because children that need you are about to start coming at you. Hey! You say, Lord, what about my bloodline and my kids that I can't get to listen to me? They don't belong to you. They belong to Jesus because you gave them back to him. That means that if you want your children to be taught by a parent, God is about to adopt them to somebody who can reach them. Believe that in Jesus' name. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hey, it's not how you think it's going to be. It's the way God wants it to be. There's going to be an exchange at the altar because the blood still applies. It may just be the altar you're not familiar with, a place that you don't know about, but God's about to start doing some exchanging for our children. He's going to start calling them out. And he may have to adopt them to another family for a little while so that they learn to come back. But when they come back, there's going to be a ring waiting for them. There's going to be a robe put on their shoulders. There's going to be servants put under them. There's going to be land given to them. Because my God's promises are forever and they are yes and amen. Hallelujah. Speak life. Prophesy. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the spirit of prophecy. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the spirit of wisdom, knowledge, judgment, might, creation, prophecy. That's what you walk in. So prophesy over the generations. Prophesy over the land. Be as the more order of Melchizedek. If you've got to stack stones on top of each other and pour oil and wine on it and say, this is mine according to the word of God, you walk outside and you do it. But claim what God has given you. Know what God has given you. And increase what God has given you through His promise and through His word. Be blessed this morning in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.